Dusky goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with a special episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. Today, we're going to be having a more in-depth look at post-Fergie Manchester United. But with me, as always, is the Rosed to my Old Trafford, Billy. Thanks for that one, Lewis. Yeah, so we have a special this week. We are joined by a guy who... It's fair to say he's a bit of an expert in the old Trafford field. It's Stretford Paddock's very own Casey Evans. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Welcome to myself. I'm all right. How are you? <laughs> Not bad, mate. Good, good. How are you? Yeah, decent. You're going to bring up some old wounds, but I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> we I promise to make it uh, as, le- as, as painless as possible. Oh, it won't be. It won't be. I'm gonna to have to talk. I'm having to talk about some some deep trauma here. So, well, it'll, but it'll be good. It'll be good. I can get out. It's be like therapy. But there you go. Think of us the as your psychologist. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to see. The first step is always talking about your problems. So, with that being said, I think it's fair to say. Shall we start with David Moyes? If we have to, but yeah, we can start with David Moyes. Um, uh, yeah, David Moyes. It, I'll I'll start by explaining my feelings to David Moyes um, era. It's kind of like if you were having a party and then a fire started in the corner, and you were like, "It's okay, the fire's there and it's contained, but we'll we'll just continue having this party and we'll be all happy and thingy." And before you know it, everything's on fire. <laughs> I can't argue with it as well. That's the thing. <laughs> because you, you think of it, that team that won the league in 2013 wasn't a great team. A lot of players coming to the end of their careers. Mm. And then you hand it off to a man who just isn't qualified for the job. Okay, can I just interject you real quick? My main question to you, as you are both relatively well-versed in all things Manchester United as United fans. What was the thinking behind the appointment of David Moyes? Because to this day, I could not have told, I cannot tell you how, why. So it was a Ferguson appointment. This is what, this is what this situation was. Basically, Ferguson saw a lot of qualities in Moyes that he saw in his earlier career of himself. Obviously, Ferguson had managed Aberdeen, Scotland sort of thing, like those lower teams that and he'd done well with him. And you could say that with Everton, he'd done pretty well with Everton on a string budget. He'd done pretty well to continually get them into uh, just below European places, like 7th, 8th, that sort of place. I think the appointment was that what he thought was going to happen was, I've given this man everything he needs. I've given him Wilfred Zaha, who shows a lot of the attributes of a very young Ronaldo. At the time, yeah, it was like he was a very good dribbler on the ball. He obviously needed to work on his finishing and he needed to work on his like anticipation and probably bulk up a bit. I've given him one of the best coaching staffs in the world, in Renny Bullenstein. Um, trying to remember coaching staff name, but yeah, Renny Bullenstein's probably the big one out of them. He's given them a world-class coaching staff and he obviously had 
those older guardsmen in Rio Fernand, Vidic, Carrick, who if you bought new players, um, they could kind of bed in. And also, what I found out a couple of months ago was he'd pretty much, by putting the stamp on it, arranged to have Thiago, who went to obviously your favourite club, Bayern Munich, all was ready to go. He wanted to join Manchester United. He was happy to join. He'd been scouted and everything. And David Moyes walked in and said, never heard of him. Of course you've never heard of him. Your scouts are looking for people for Everton, not United. So he comes in. He says, oh, I don't know this, Thiago. Bin him off. Um, oh, all, all these, these these coaches that have won the Premier League. There, there's the door. And uh, Wilfred Zaha will play you in strike for two preseason games. And then off to Cardiff you go. So, yeah. <laughs> It was kind of like it was all set up and he came in with a sledgehammer and smashed it all down. Uh, that sounds like a, uh, it sounds almost like a comedy club. I mean, just, just the first couple of weeks is just, nah, everything that's been planned, sack that off. That's, that's got, that's of no use to me. It's only, it's only one of the best football managers of all time, leaving his blueprint to success. And I'm just going to bin that. No biggie. Well, the thing is, I've got two clear memories of that pre-season. I was doing work experience in an architecture's firm. Wasn't a lot to do, so I was flicking through the transfer centre on Sky Sports News, and it was, Tiago is on. No, Tiago is now going to Bayern Munich. Fabregas is on. No, Fabregas has said, no, he doesn't want to join. Sitting up till the window slammed shut. And what did we end up with? Marouane Fellaini. And Marouane Fellaini, who would have been cheaper if we signed him five days earlier because his buyout clause expired and we ended up paying more money for him. That summed up our transfer window in a nutshell. I'm actually getting a kick out of this because this is just, it just does not sound like a club that is record champions of the Premier League. And, you know, for the longest time was just, the front runner in the UK. It just does. It sounds like some mid table club that are every now and then dropping into the relegation zone. And it sounds like something you'd expect from like, from, from, you know, Cardiff or uh, Crystal Palace. That's, that's what I expect that. But you see that sort of like capitulation from the top clubs all the time, because I feel like one of the things with football and one of the things with football ownership and sort of things, and it, it goes into other sports as well, is a lot of teams don't realise how good they've got it and then they re- think they can just restart it from scratch and do it completely different way. You've seen it with Arsenal. You've seen it in the NBA with um, with the, the, the resetting over there with Miami Heat trying to do it a different way and it completely failing after they had the uh, two, three-time champions over there. You've seen it with loads of different clubs that they'd like, they think they have a they have a blueprint to success and then they get kind of bored with it or they want a better cost-effective method and it just falls apart. Yeah, New England Patriots are also a great example of that now in the NFL. Hmm. So I've got to ask this. I want two moments from that season. Best moment and worst. Oh my god, uh, that's that's if making you can me pick a to, best moment. That's having to make me having to dig through sort of thing. Um, David Moyes era United. Is there a good thing I can think of? When he uh, got sacked, when he got sacked <laughs> was fun. Uh, that was great because he and and the fact that he still hasn't got over it to this day 
Like, he has managed four to five different clubs. He's doing well with West Ham, and whenever he's in a press conference, he's like, oh, yeah, this is what happens when you give a manager time. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I hate my life. But um, it's there was a couple of games in there where I was like, this is fine. And usually it was around Marouan Fellaini doing okay, which was... I, I still, to this day, think Marouan Fellaini was a decent signing. Like, it's a weird thing to say, but... For what he was and what he did, like he was obviously a good player, and you've seen that that sort of player can thrive, and he did well in big games. Came on, got us a couple of good goals, and everyone saw him as a joke because it was sort of this was what embodied what we became very quickly. But in 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 his defence, it wasn't his fault. He just came in because he was like, "Oh, my manager's got me. It's called me. Trust me. I'm going to do a job for him." So probably Maron Fellaini, both being signed and. Also, it was a was a highlight because he did bring us some good memories and no one can knock a ball down like Marouane Fellaini or elbow a man in the head. Um, but <laughs> uh, worst moment was just, it was that run, that run where it was just constant games of just, you just saw him on the touchline having no clue what to do. Uh, and it was just, it was just pain. It was just genuine pain to watch. Like you just couldn't see a way out you were getting boxed in by just mediocrity. And there, you were just there like, where does this go? How do we even fix this? When he kicked Ferdinand and Vidic out, that was a low point. Actually, that is it. Because that was where I was like, there is no, there is no, you have no idea what you're doing because they could easily just stay there and just keep him on as like coaches. Like John Terry played very long into his career and, and is probably... Ferdinand could have done the same if it wasn't for injuries and same with Vidic but what he what he embodied and the sort of experience and the ability he showed to those younger defenders at the time who was there offered so much more than just being like oh you can't play every game off of you so I think we've we've kicked the the punching bag of David Moyes enough for for this one. Um, Can I say no? But he, what he is doing with West Ham is fantastic, and it does show what he it, it does show yeah. the promise of when he actually gets stuff right, and he understand he yeah. understands. But there was such expectation on his shoulders that he was never going to do well with what he wanted to do. He had to be basically a take a take the square peg of Ferguson out, put the square peg of Moyes in. Everything else stays the same. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. But moving on to the next one in the in that little train, Fan Hal. What did you guys expect from him? And did you very honestly believe that he would basically return or bring the return of the former glory, so to speak? Honestly. I'll let you say this one away, Billy. Honestly, no. But it was what he had done previously at Barca and Bayern and Ajax, bringing through those young players. It was, okay, this is what we're kind of known for. Let's bring in a coach that can do it. I mean, he gave us Marcus Rashford. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. It's always always a benefit to to get Marcus Rashford. Um, Yeah, but Casey, what would you say? Agree or disagree? Honestly, yeah. There was there was there was that shred of optimism that I still had left with United at that point, where it was like I'd seen what he did at the World Cup, I'd heard of his pedigree before then. 
Like it was the it was the sense of what Netherlands were before he came in, and then what they became in terms of this really exciting counter attacking outlet. Where I was like, that's the football I like watching. Like the sort of like you get pressed to the nines and then you just cut through someone. Those are always really fun to watch. Like people say, oh, I want to see my team dominate for seven minutes. Like you know, we'd all take a thirty minute smash and grab three nil. Like. <laughs> It'd be because it's funny to watch. Like you're like this team has completely passed you to death, and you're just like, yeah, but uh, can you do this sort of scenario? But yeah, when when it, when he was appointed, it, it looks like there was a plan there. It looked like, especially when he was able to bring people in transfer wise, that kind of fitted what he wanted. That was like, well, that's a lot more than what happened with Moyes. It was like it was just slightly poking at that little bit of optimism I had left and like stoking it. And I was like, yeah, I, I can see this. And then, yeah, it, it all went horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> so would it be a progression in the sense of, you know, a step forward in comparison to the David Moyes era, Bill? I mean, yeah, we, we won the FA Cup in his second season. I don't think that's to be sniffed at. But I just want to ask Casey, with the, you mentioned the transfers just then. So we, we bought in Shaw and Ander Herrera. And Daily Blind. But then he brought in Daily Blind, Morgan Schneidlin and Bastian Schweinsteiger. Is that... Smithfield. Smithfield. Yeah, <laughs> is that, in your opinion, is that a case of the board buying two players first? And then the manager going, no, I want these ones. Well, Herrera was, I feel like Herrera was a very much simulation to uh, Thiago. Whereas the previous manager had done all the scouting, got all the scout reports, wanted him. And then they just presented it to Van Hal and Van Hal said, yeah, that's a sort of midfielder. Because when you see some of the attributes that Ander Herrera has, it's very similar to what uh, I'd say younger Schweinsteiger did. Obviously not to the level, but like he had, he sort of was a hard tackling, very nice passer could do a little bit integrated and, and complete and utter like uh <laughs> shit house <laughs> probably <Box> description. To <laughs> box. Yeah, box to box. Um Luke Shaw this if we talk about the signings, if you look at I love Daily Blind. I love him so much. He was such a good player and it was just such a weird transfer when we got rid of him because he was just so good. Like it was one of those players that you look at and he's like there's no way bar the eye test. I can't really say much because you're not very tall, you're not very strong, but just something on the ball, man. It was just fantastic. I mean, Memphis Depay. You forgot Memphis Depay. Oh, <laughs> you forgot which, Memphis Depay. Number seven replacement. <laughs> oh, and Memphis Depay was a weird one because Memphis Depay before Shaw got injured was a lot better than Memphis Depay afterwards. I feel like he got a lot of link up with him, and you saw they were very good friends. Shaw, it was seeing the best of him now. I think. But, uh, well, we're seeing the best of what he can be now. What he was when he first came was insane. That absolute just direct pace that he had uh, before he got the horrific injury was great. But it was like, Schneiderlin, I can't argue with at the time because when he was at Southampton, he was great. Like, he had so many attributes that made him great. He was one of the best defensive midfielders for all your statistics across the board. Obviously, that doesn't always apply. But I feel like every transfer was part of a plan and an idea. And there was there was something there that he wanted. And he, obviously Memphis Depay was part of that counter-attacking. That was obviously his attacking outlet. 
And then you look back and he was like, well, this this team has just basically lost the best back line in the history of like one of the or one of the best back lines in the history of association football. Like Patrice Evra, uh, Patrice Evra, Vidic, Ferdinand, and then Raphael. <laughs> but it, it's that sort of, yeah, it's that sort of thing. It's like I have to fix that um, as I go. Fair enough. I just want to ask you, with Van Hal, it wasn't gorgeous football to watch. But was there a game where you thought I can't, I can't watch this any longer? There was there was many games where I thought. Um, Jamer on Paddock always talks about how up his end he didn't see a goal for three months, and I obviously I didn't go to those games as much back then. But like, it was that. It was just those games that you'd watch, and it would go from Jones to Small into Blind to Small into Jones. To, to, and it would just be that constantly and you'd be like someone please just pass a ball two yards forward just 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 anything like you'd see it and you just it'd just be that sort of play where i like i say like you don't mind having like 30 percent if you batter if you make three fantastic moves and just go for it and that's what i feel like the netherlands had and what we didn't was that the Netherlands were like, they were a weaker team on paper. So a lot of teams were like, we can take it to them. And they played a lot of teams that kind of highlighted that Spain, especially, is one of those teams that likes to hold on to the ball. So it allowed that explosive pace to be shown from the Netherlands in the counter-attacking. But the back end, like the back end of the Premier League, I mean, obviously the FA Cup was a highlight and that was some great play by them. But though that, that like seven-game run at the end of the Premier League, is some of the worst football I think I've ever had to watch in my life. Not on paper, not like thinking, but just watching it was just, it was just completely not a dross. It was just boring. It just had no life in it. It was just a, it just was a man of like, I have no idea how to fix this team uh, or how to apply what I want to, to them to score goals. So I'm just going to default to what I know they can do, which is just pass it around. So then... By contrast, when Mourinho comes in, <laughs> let me finish. Um, but at the beginning, I'll pose the same question: Was it a case of Mourinho's come in? We know that he's done; he's worked wonders with multiple teams. I mean, just take Porto, Real Madrid, and Chelsea. You know, he's done; he's won titles. He has got a resume that is worthy of Manchester United in comparison to other managers you brought in. So, yeah, what would you say? Better or worse? I'm 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 the eternal optimist. I feel like this is this has been my problem and this is why it hurts me more than most people. It's like no matter who comes in, I always support them and I'll always support them until the end of the thing like David Moyes up until the, I think up until like two games from the end, I was like, he's still the manager. There's a lot you can do there. And I just feel like it. it's always the straw that breaks the camel's back with me with most managers. I always start off really optimistic. I'm happy to see what they do. I'm happy to see where they go with it because the fact is, is like me being unhappy with the appointment is is unlikely to say the United board, or the United board to go, hmm, his opinion matters. Let's, let's change the managers back, shall we? But yeah, 
Uh, Mourinho was a bit more because Mourinho had a like tangible success. That success I'd seen. Like a lot of what Van Gaal did was was way back with Bayern Munich and uh, and Barcelona. But Mourinho I'd seen the Porto trophies. I'd seen the Chelsea trophies. I'd seen the Inter trophies. I'd seen the Real Madrid trophies. It was all there on paper. And I'd seen him come back to Chelsea after being sacked for being Mourinho or leaving for being Mourinho to come back and then do wonders with that Chelsea team again. So it was like on paper, it was like the perfect appointment. Style of football, we'll get into, but in terms of getting the team back to winning, I thought, yeah. So moving on from that, we did win two trophies under Mourinho and a community shield. Wait. <laughs> Respect, man. Respect the three. Three. And by but, the way, I'm doing the three gesture in the Zoom chat right now, just constantly. <laughs> but I want to know, because we hadn't, it didn't look like we were going to win much, to be honest. Like we were so many points behind City and they didn't help him. They didn't save his job in that, uh, in that second season that he had. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird one because I feel like, Mourinho, the more he's gone on, the more he's kind of kicked into overdrive in how he operates around the dressing room. I feel like we're seeing it at Chelsea, he gave it two seasons and then he was like, I don't think you're performing for me. I don't think you're performing for me. I don't think you're performing for me. And we saw it United, second season, it was Pogba, it was Martial. And then in, in, at Tottenham, it's been like half a season. He's like, Deli Alley, get out. Like... <laughs> Oh, don't get out. Stay in my club. Do absolutely nothing. I don't know what you're going to do. Just bring the tea. But um, it's just, it was so weird because obviously like the, the trophy of the Europa League was such a great result and it was both a really good bit of squad management and a really terrible bit of squad management because we absolutely tanked the league at the end of the season in order to win the Europa League. We were like, we will not play properly. We will not play the strongest players. We will save them for the Europa League matches and we'll win the Europa League. And it was a sort of all-or-nothing gambit that kind of paid off. But then, like, um, you move into the next season and he kind of gets some more signings and he kind of gets some more ideas about what he wants to do and he gets more players in, like he replaces Ibrahimovic's, uh, Ibrahimovic with Lukaku brings a, a couple more players that he wants. And it still seemed to be like it was going to have to rely on that all or nothing gambit yet again. Because I think we lost to Severe in the Champions League and it was just like, where is he going? Like, what is he doing? You kind of just looked at it and you're like, well, he, and, and then he couldn't rely on the players that we'd relied on in the past, like your Martial's and your Pogba's, because he'd already told him that he wasn't playing him. Like, he'd already said, I can't play him. And it was such a pride thing to him that he couldn't be like, there is a way back for you. And I feel like he's learnt that a bit, because you've seen that with Endombele at Spurs, but I feel like that is also the fact that he's got Daniel Levy, who's a lot more involved than our managers. Um, telling, telling, um, saying you have to play him, but it was definitely a pride thing where he was like, uh, I'm not going to rely on the players even though I need to. I think the most damaging, almost, it was just, he just seemed to have a complete and utter meltdown in the media. So like you say, after we lost to Sevilla, it was the, oh, well, what's the difference in going out in the last 16 to going out in the quarterfinals? Like, well, 
you know, you've won optimism, another game. Optimism breeds optimism. You beat yeah. Sevilla, chances are you might go through again. And with the whole, towards the very end, with the whole respect rant, I think that was just, uh, his head completely went, for whatever reason. It, it, I think with Mourinho, it, it's always been a pride thing. You've seen when he fought, he's fallen out with clubs, it's always been a sake of his pride. And it's it's earned to a degree. Like when he was at when he, Porto, what he did at Porto was fantastic. What he did with Chelsea was fantastic. What he did with Inter Milan is fantastic. But I feel like gone are the days of a past manager's performances affecting your opinions of them now. Like, if Ferguson did something badly, where he had those two-season runs in the mid-2000s where he just wasn't winning, like at Arsenal, then Chelsea, nowadays, people would be calling for his head. Like, because he came third with, like, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Ronaldo, all those, that talent. People would be absolutely calling for his head. But back in the early 2000s, people were like, oh, it's fine. It's Ferguson. He knows how to win. This is going to be all right. We can, he can sort it out and we can build it. And I think Mourinho is very much of that that breed, but a bit more prideful. But nowadays, it just doesn't wash. And when you start losing and people start questioning you, he's like, I can't handle this because I know I'm a good manager. I, you, you've seen what I've done. Why can't you understand that I'm a good manager? But he just can't understand that people just can't see... They can't see the they can't see the trees for the forest, so to speak. They can't see what's yeah. right in front of them. Oh, they... Yeah, yeah. So, so would you say it's a it's a thing of what was also you know the kind of the topic with uh, when when we saw Guillaume Balaguer have a talk um, during our university years? The do the English media just not have enough respect for the process, you know, the, the process of, of building up a team, the process of getting, you know, your tactics ingrained into a team. I don't think it's, a, I don't think, I, I think they have the respect. Cause you see the team, they see like publications like the athletic has come into um, existence, which is a lot more in depth and a lot more kind of tries to simplify down these like high concept tactics down to what people can understand but I don't think it, I, I think it's just, the thing is, is the media, and having done a journalism degree, I kind of am a bit biased in this, reflects the public's opinion. The sort of thing is, is like, if they're like, we want to back this manager and we want to talk about the tactics and stuff like that, and they were like, yeah, that's fine, we can understand that. They might, they probably would do that because they would be able to think it. And I feel like the fact is you see it in the press conferences, the managers actually get on well with the media, but then it's sometimes they're like, well, you're telling me that you, I can't do my job properly. But it's like, it's because everyone on social media has been telling you you can't do your job properly. I'm just jumping on that because that's what sells. It's a very much a sense of in the same way the manager is just doing his job, the media are just doing their job. Like, And yes, you can say sometimes it's a bit scummy and it's sometimes it's a bit thingy, but the fact is they're only reflecting what people want to hear. The media a lot of the time is just telling you what you want to hear. They want to hear that the manager doesn't know what he's doing. They want to know that he's fallen out with someone because that explains something that they can't quite understand. They can't grasp why this team is playing well, um, like isn't playing properly, why that player is not playing, why that. And if you just put it into simple terms, like, oh, I heard a rumour that someone had a bit of a fallout, someone, someone will blow it up somewhere and it will just be it just makes sense. Like it just, it just falls into place for people. So in keeping in that tune, would you say that um, 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has now gotten the grace of people of the public's opinion and, and by and large the media's opinion because he is a club legend. It's weird, isn't it? I think I think you'll you'll agree with me, Billy, that you've seen a lot of a trend of it's a goodwill. It, it, it works with goodwill for so long. And I feel like he got the job on that, but the reason he stayed in it isn't so much like you've seen Lampard got appointment. Zidane got appointed. Pep Guardiola, very early on, started out in the Barcelona Academy and then moved up. Like it was a that's kind of like the starting blocks. But you've seen it before where people respect this player and they won't want to see them fail admissionly or they won't have that doubt straight away because they want to see them succeed. So goodwill always is a is a decent employment strategy, but then at the same time it's like but it can turn sour very quickly. Yeah, I think Ollie was a weird one because Mourinho left after the loss to Liverpool. And there was all that talk of who was going to come in, that Laurent Blanc was thrown around for a bit. And I'd come to terms with that. It's like, okay, well, it won't be a long-term thing. And then it was, oh, we'll get Solskjaer in. And I've got few memories of watching him actually play. I think my most vivid memories of him are being that god-awful with Cardiff. But it just worked. Something Mm. happened. Something clicked. The shackles came off to begin with. And that night in Paris probably got him the job on a permanent. Yeah, like it it did. It definitely did because it it was a sort of a thing of, if you looked at that team of the past three managers, if they were put in that situation... Yes, it was very lucky, but the fact was is we took a game to Paris Saint-Germain. Like, we were we were down, and we were like, you know what? No. Like, we're not going out of this without a fight, and we fought, and we fought, and we fought, and in the end, we got a penalty, and we went through, but the fact was is that it, it, would, it wasn't a big thing that we won. Like, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't, like, so shocking that we won on the way that we played that night. Um, it was... <laughs> I always I always look back at the sort of the social appointment and I'm like obviously like people say about Cardiff and he was got awful with Cardiff but then Cardiff would got awful before he came like the players they signed the stuff came out about like money laundering and like there were so many issues between like Malky allegedly money laundering there's so many issues between like Malky Mackay and the owners and him spending so much on players and stuff it was just such a mess and any manager walking into that was walking into an absolute slaughter. Like they were just not going to get the players they wanted. That were sort of like that, and they, I think they were already in relegation when he joined. And but you look at the stuff at Mould. Like he did well at Mould. They won their first championship in hundred years under like or something ridiculous under Solskjaer. Like he he knows how to coach a team. And I think as I said, like being a player sometimes gets you the respect of other players. Because the fact is, is like when you can use bring that life experience of I've been there and done that, you can't like kid me with this. Like Mourinho wasn't a good footballer. Van Hal wasn't a good footballer. David Moyes played for Preston. Uh, but <laughs> but um, <laughs> says, it all. <laughs> says it all. Like, but when you have Solskjaer, who is like lauded as the greatest like tactical minded super sub of all time. He could come on and change a game with his movement. And he's telling you, if you run into the box now, you'll score a goal. You're more likely to listen to him because he, he knows what he's on about on a personal one-to-one level. 
like obviously there's management's tactics and kind of like here's a big board at the front of the room and talk through it but when you're talking to players like you see Marcus Rashford Martial not so much now but Martial Greenwood all improved in that first full season under Solskjaer and I feel like that was what he was because he, he, he's a sort of guy who I feel like they could sit down and have a conversation with and he could talk to him in terms they understood as a player there's that great picture from pre-season with Rashford, Martial and Greenwood. They're all sat round listening to him tell them whatever. But it's that thing, it's... Back in murder. Literally, it's... <laughs> oh, when I scored that winning goal in the 99 Champions League yeah. final. Sorry, Lewis. That's me done for the day, boys. <laughs> Sorry, we don't need you, Lewis. It's that thing of you've done that. You've won everything there is to win. Why wouldn't I listen to you? Mm. Because you get the sense that some players, if a manager like, obviously Mourinho is a great manager and has won everything, but if he's telling a striker, oh, if you do this, you do that, is there not an element of you that would go, but you weren't, you weren't, a good striker you weren't a good player you you don't know what that what that means you don't know what the movement is hmm. I feel like there's disagrees to coaching there's, you can have you can be a very good manager with very good coaches and then you can be probably like I'd say Ollie's not the best manager in terms of tactics and stuff but in terms of a coach I feel like he's a fantastic coach I feel like in terms of attacking football and like taking shots I mean you've seen some of the blips recently and I feel like some of those have been forced by tactics like Rashford on the right wing is is painful to watch because he just doesn't shoot because he doesn't like his right he doesn't like his weak foot like he doesn't shoot on it and I feel like on the left wing it kind of comes a bit more naturally to him but in terms of a man-to-man coach I think Solskjaer is fantastic I feel like attacking wise he understands the game a lot better than some people and then he's brought in players like Edison Cavani who like all right maybe you don't believe me but this guy here, you probably grew up watching, playing for Napoli and PSG. You might have played with him on FIFA. Never know. But he, he'll tell, he'll tell you what to do. So I feel like he understands man management a lot better than the past managers. And I feel like getting a squad together like United has always been about man management. Ferguson was a bastard. Like, there's no two ways of putting about it. He was an absolute, like, he would scream at people. Like, I remember we were doing, back when we were at uni, there was that Future Leaders Conference. Like, and we were talking, Gordon Strachan was there. And Gordon Strachan obviously played for Ferguson really early on. And he was like, I absolutely hated him. I could have murdered him in his sleep. But would I run through a brick wall for that man? Yeah, like I would. Like, because he knew exactly how to get the best out of me of a player. He'd scream at me and he'd probably make me feel like the worst player in the world sometimes. But he, he always did it because he knew that if I was in his team, I obviously wasn't the worst player in the world. I just wasn't playing up to the expectations he had of me. Cause it, and it's, that's what you need. You need a man manager to deal with United, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this will be the final question for me, but um, Billy, if you still got any after that, uh, would you say that Solskjaer is here to stay and he will be here for the next few years? Or would you say the appointment is still rocky enough that you could see him potentially leaving within the next couple of years? It's so strange. Like Football is such a strange beast. 
that I could say that right now I am certain that Solskjaer will be here for the next few years. But like even 10 games down the line, I could be like, I don't know whether he's going to last this. And especially with our, like we've broken that bond that we had now. Like people were saying, we're not like the other clubs. Like we didn't get rid of, the sort of thing is like, we're not like the other clubs. We don't change a manager every couple of years and sort of thing. We've had Ferguson for the longest time. And it was only because Ferguson was winning at the end that I feel like they kept him. Like the fact is that, and, and the fact is, is like he, he ran the club basically. The, 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 the whole illusion that some fans have that United were never going to be that club that keeps changing managers was complete because as soon as we didn't get success, we were obviously going to keep going for success. And that was an easy way to do it is sack the manager. You can't sack all the players sack the manager so it will change on game by game basis but like on the personally I think there's something there that needs to be cultured and there's something there that needs to be built and I'd like to see Solskjaer there for the next few years and then if it's not still not working then I'd like to see a change but I feel like it's to unceremoniously sack him after five bad games like some like some has happened to some managers across the league is just not what we should be doing I think one of the last ones for me before we move on to the questions we ask all our guests. I mentioned it with Van Hal and bringing through young players. But I think Ollie's taken it to another level. And, you know, you've got people like Greenwood who's just signed a new deal. Garner's gone out on loan. Brandon Williams. I mean, the Europa League squad, Ahmad Diallo, who's coming from Atalanta, is in there, and so is Shortire as well. Do you think that's going to... Do you think if he stays, that there'll be less and less big money transfers going in for spending like 100 odd million on a player when you can just bring through someone like that? I, it's a yes and no, because... I feel like the one benefit that you can see of Solskjaer, and I feel like it's not talked about enough, is how he plugs gaps. It's like we're not defensively sure. We don't have a we 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 we've never been given the money to buy a proper defensive midfielder and our defensive weakness. So what he's done is he's picked two really high energy midfielders and he's played them both in midfield, and they kind of cover the problems. And I feel like that's how we've been using the academy a lot. I feel like it is like we haven't, he's been like, I want to bring in three players a year. And, I, and they're like, okay, we'll give you the budget for that. We won't give you the budget for massive ones like Sancho and stuff like that, but we'll give you the money for those sort of things. And in the end, he's been like, okay, what are the stop gaps I can make that are, one, fix my problem right now, two, could fix my problem in the future, or three, fix my problem until I can get someone else. Like, it's a, it's a sort of Greenwood is very good on the right wing, but I feel like there are better. And I feel like the fact is, is that like a Greenwood as a sort of creative element isn't as strong as him as a forward element. And I feel like it is a matter of we're trying to develop him now so that he can play striker later on in his career. And he's just trying to get in some movement drills and stuff in. So he's just on the pitch. And I think that's how we're playing it now. And we brought in Diallo because if we brought in Sancho, there was no way that you swap him out as much as you do. But with Diallo, there's going to be an instant sort of, he can play one game, he can play one game sort of scenario. But then if we get someone like Sancho, like I don't see us looking in the right wing for the academy for much longer. Like I feel like Greenwood, Diallo, that's set. Like there's no one going to come in like that. Fernandez, we've seen Donny van der Beek come in as cover and a rotation option. 
he's hardly getting a game because Fernandez wants to play every game. So you're never going to see someone coming in the number 10 role. Like there'll be opportunities and there was always opportunities under Ferguson when you, when you wanted to bring in like young players, like the, the Europa League, the cups and stuff like that. But I feel like we'll see less and less if we start to get investment and if we start to fill in the gaps of players from the academy coming through. But that's just, I think, the natural progression of football. And I would like to see, the the fact is that I feel like you'll still see the cream of the crop coming through. You'll still see your Mason Green, which you'll still see your short tyres. You'll still see, like, obviously Diallo being bought in and maybe Garner and stuff like that. The ones that are exceptional players come through, but we'll see less of those ones that aren't quite the cut. Like if Garner, Levitt and uh, Galbraith, if the three of them are think making a push for the first team, only one will go, I feel. That sort of scenario will happen. You'll see less of your Mane, Biram, Dufes and more of your Mason Greenwoods. What a man, playing right wing back for Stoke. When it was one of the funniest moments. I was like, look at the team sheet. I was like, oh, Stoke have Mane, Biram, Dufes. Maybe he'll do a job. And I just looked at it and I was like, this man is playing right wing back. What is this? <laughs> so the questions that we ask everyone that comes on here. Yep. So first of all, the best game that you've ever seen live? Uh, that would be uh, last season. Uh, the 2-1. Was it 2-1? Oh, it might have been 2-0. I shouldn't know the score. The one, the one against City last year <laughs> where McTominay scores. Oh, yeah, the 2-0. The 2-0. I thought, for some reason, I, I, I can't think of United without United conceding at the moment. <laughs> it's a problematic situation. But the 2-0, and I, I, yeah, so the best game I should see live, I should know the score. Yeah, 2-0 against City, that McTominay one where he scores from thinking everyone in the stadium went mad. Like, I, there was a guy stood next to me. I looked that way, came back, wasn't there, looked down, and he was like on top of people like four rows down, just screaming. It was just... It was just such an atmosphere. And obviously, like, everyone went in, like, we've beaten, like, we've beaten before, but this is probably going to be the sort of case of it's end of season City. They're, they're going to be pushing for the title. They'll probably take this so much more seriously. And then we just obviously just scored that, that second goal, man. That that was just, uh, Gallo knocks it down, tries to clear it, and then McTominay just as it Flew. Everyone just knew what was happening, and everyone went mental. It was brilliant. That's, that, that's the game with the Fernandez chip over the wall to Martial as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's that's the fun memories. I would have wished. Like, I feel like there's games that would have that atmosphere, like the six-two versus Leeds and the nine-nil versus Southampton. That would have been something else to be at. But in terms of capturing that level of atmosphere, there's nothing that beats that game. Last game in front of fans as well at Old Trafford. Mm. Right. What a game to sign off on. <laughs> like... Second question. The best player you've ever seen live? Ooh. Now, this is a hard one. Probably not at the time I saw him. Um, like As in, I saw him throughout, but at, at both ends. But Wayne Rooney... Like it, 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 it's just something about Wayne Rooney that just I feel like he just gets so disrespected. Like you see the best strikers in the Premier League, and no one ever talks about Wayne Rooney, despite the fact he has two hundred odd goals, a hundred odd assists, and he's the only player to actually have that. He's like, uh, or the only like striker. It's like there was a work rate there that you just 
don't see. You could see like Wayne Rooney up top of the end of the pitch, trying to score a goal, trying to get an assist, and then you get touted on, and Wayne Rooney would be somehow back. And I just, he's just mad. Like there's other, there's other, there's obviously other ones. I saw a friendly against United versus Valencia, where I saw David Silva, Juan Mata, and. I think David Villa was still there at the time, so I could say, well, they went on to have fantastic careers, didn't they? <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, it's got to be it's got to be Wayne Rooney. Like Ronaldo's close, but but Wayne Rooney. And finally, your favorite player. Uh, my favorite player. There's a mixture. I, I love I love Kaka. Like when I was growing up, you had your Samba style, like Ronaldinho's, your Kaka's. Uh, you've obviously got Ronaldo at United, but uh, it's gonna be a weird one. My favorite player is Francisco Totti. Like I love Francisco Totti. I love everything he stood for. I love the fact that he stayed at Roma his entire career. He was a fantastic striker. He was obvious. He was just insane, and the backheel passes were just they were just disrespectful at times. Like it was just it was just that level of just. The way he held himself on a pitch and the way that he had such an affinity with the club is like everything I love about football. And he was just embodied in a player. I can't argue with that. I think that's a no, pretty can I. that's a pretty accurate evaluation of the man. Well, that's mm. all we've got time for. Uh, we did do a special with Casey on his channel. We did a episode of A View from Rosette. So that will be there will be a link to that in the description below. Yep. You got subjected to the first ever episode of that. So yeah, like these two both 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 suffered through with me, but it's a great episode. Got a good chat about Bundesliga football, had a good chat about Bayern Munich. So yeah, please check that out. Well, make sure to check, yeah, as Casey said, make sure to check that out. His episodes will be coming weekly. Uh, We'll, we'll say we'll, we'll say see. regularly. We'll, we'll, we'll say see. regularly. Regularly has no time limit on it, but hopefully weekly. But regularly is going to be the, uh, the 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 aim. Anyways, regular content. Regular <laughs> content. Case, yeah, regular content. I have other stuff on there. Scout reports, there everything you want to see. Go there, you go. there you go. There you go. So I mean, if that's not an advertisement for for that channel, then I don't know what is. But. Thanks so much for tuning in to this special episode of the 50 plus one football podcast. We will be back with the European edition tomorrow and the first European edition in a while, I should say, but thanks so much, Casey, for joining us and giving us your insights on the club. You love the club. You sometimes also loathe, but mostly love. Um, I, I always love him, but it is, <laughs> it is love. Hey, it's a sort of like, I look that they're, they're, they're strangling me to death with my own love. <laughs> like, I think I think that puts it pretty much perfectly. Of course, don't forget to subscribe, like, share, comment on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to check us out on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and our RSS feed. But thanks very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game. <laughs>